Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to Fandom Talk, the show where we talk all about comics, movies, video games, and pretty much anything else that, that we really want to talk about, honestly. I am your host, Jacob Vance Hardesty, the editor-in-chief here of the Fandom Correspondence, and on today's segment, we are continuing our monthly segment of the Star Wars EU or EU review, and mm-hmm. I am joined today... Um, by my illustrious co-host, as always on this segment, Mr. Al Manley, better known as the Red Lanyard. Al, how you doing today, man? Hello, that is me, and I'm doing quite well. Um, yeah, as we just talked about, we're staying hydrated. We're ready to to talk about some some Star Wars, and and it's just going to pop off tonight. I'm excited. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, if you have not tuned into the EU or EU review before, um, eventually what we're talking about is just basically anything that isn't a Star Wars movie, pretty much. And even and honestly, we've even broken that rule a couple times. Because um, we're talking all about the comics, the books, the video games, the shows, specifically the shows on this episode. Um, because today we are talking about... The Star Wars, The Clone Wars, The Siege of Mandalore, which covers uh, The Clone Wars Season 7, Episodes 9 through 12. Um, and, uh, yeah, we are and, – and let me just go ahead and just say this right now. We can't talk about this episode this without going into spoiler territory. So mm-hmm. if you are still wanting to get caught up on The Clone Wars um, – if you're wanting to po- possibly even get caught up on Rebels or the Bad Batch um, and or Mandalorian seasons one and two, um, I would suggest, you know, just kind of maybe maybe hanging back on this one uh, and then jumping in later because we're going to well, there's there's going to be a lot to cover because the events of this these four episodes, the more rewatching this and the more I thought about it, the events of these four episodes really just go all throughout the galaxy and all throughout the the world the lore of star wars going forward um so yeah so just wanted to give you all a heads up we are gonna be hitting some spoiler territory on that um but first off out we um we've talked about the guinea tartakovsky clone wars before we, that was our second episode or if i'm right second or third episode mm-hmm. um on the eu or eu review um but we've never talked about the dave filoni series um, so why don't you just start off just kind of talking? I'm <laughs> basically I wanted to ask you a very broad question and let you rant for a bit as as opposed to me typically doing it. Why don't you start talking about the really the impact of what this series did for for Star Wars as a whole and um kind of where where it where it's gone since then and where it's particular particularly with this final season being the one that aired on Disney Plus. Mm, sure, I can do that for a little bit. Um, so with uh, the Dave Filoni um, Clone Wars, um, this was a series that um, kind of um, it kind of served to tie fans over during the kind of um, Star Wars drought years we experienced there for a while. Um, I don't know if anybody really recalls, but. Um, after Revenge of the Sith came out, um, and how um, very, very divisive Revenge of the Sith was, um, for anybody who who doesn't recall, um, there were um, a lot of people who really enjoyed Revenge of the Sith, but um, at the time, um, generally, there was a lot of um, negative reception 
um, to episode three. I know that may sound weird to some of you young, uh, you young peeps <laughs> who listen to the show, because um, yeah, believe it or not, um, Revenge of the Sith was not always um, a dearly beloved film in the um, in Star Wars. There was a lot of contention over it, and it was very divisive. And I would say that overall, it was not um, thought of very well. And then the internet did whatever kind of revisionist spell craft that the internet is capable of over the last few years. Um, And then you saw the wave of everybody going like, oh, no, Revenge of the Sith is actually incredible. Um, I don't think I would ever go that far. I think Revenge of the Sith is very flawed. But either way, after Revenge of the Sith came out, we kind of experienced somewhat of a drought uh, with a lot of Star Wars content. Um, Of course, we didn't receive um, um, another film for um, a very long time. Um, Was it 10 years in between films? Um, Yes, because it's 2005 to uh, 2015. Yeah, so um, an entire 10 years um, in between um, Star Wars films. That is, unless you count um, the Star Wars Clone Wars animated film. Uh, which came out, um, I believe, in 2008, possibly towards the ends of 2007. But um, it was basically just kind of a short, kind of fun little 3D animated adventure. Um, It featured um, this cool kind of side quest that was going on in um, the Clone Wars that featured um, Anakin and Obi-Wan and a bunch of the clones. And they were tasked with like having to rescue. Um, I believe it's the son of Jabba the Hutt. Is that right? It is. Yeah, R- Rota the Hutt. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, they were tasked with uh, trying to rescue um, the heir to uh, the Hutt Empire, um, and they were tasked with that. The film um, introduced a now very um, uh, beloved character in the Star Wars fandom. Um, a little character who you all might have heard me talk about before by the name of Hokatano, um, who was the Padawan to Anakin Skywalker. Um, and that um, animated film was met with a reasonable amount of success and positivity. Um, but that kind of spawned this um, 3D animated show uh, called Star Wars The Clone Wars, which basically chronicled all of the events that took place um, during the Clone Wars, kind of chronicled the events and explained what really happened between um, episodes two and three of the films. Um, There are a lot of people who really love the new Clone Wars show. there are a lot of people who really do not love the new Clone Wars show. Uh, but I would say overall, especially for like um, kind of the generation uh, that Jacob and I are in, kind of like on the latter half of um, millennials. That's the word. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot who we were. Um, kind of the latter half of that generation um, uh, feels very warmly towards uh, on the Clone War show. 
Um, so during the course of that show, you got to see tons of adventures from tons of different characters, uh, well-known characters like Anakin and Obi-Wan um, and Padme, things like that, as well as some lesser-known characters. Um, several of the clone troopers got um, introduced and kind of got um, their own um, unique kind of characters and personalities. Um, you got to follow Ahsoka a whole lot. You got to follow some of the other Jedi as well. Um, there were some episodes that followed the antics and hijinks of Jar Jar Binks, and those are always everybody's favorites. Um, but um, overall, you had this really cool show that lasted several years that uh, just kind of told various smaller stories about the war, uh, whether it was about um, the battles that were fought, uh, whether it was about espionage adventures that were happening, whether it was about just like small, like side quest type things that the characters um, found themselves involved in, whatever it was. Um, the show was uh, very warmly received, and that was probably, I would wager, uh, because of two very specific things. One, it did a lot to flesh out the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan, um, where that relationship felt very hollow in a lot of the depictions of it in episodes two and three. Um, Anakin and Obi-Wan were able to share a lot more time uh, with each other. Um, in the show, they were able to have a lot more experiences and adventures with each other that more fleshed out and solidified their relationship and made um, the climax of, of the prequel trilogy um, feel like it had a lot more weight. And two is just because of um, a lot of the original characters uh, that the Clone Wars introduced, um, characters like Okatano, who is quickly becoming a household name, um, within the fandom uh, characters like uh captain rex and echo and fives and you had a lot more scenes with amanda cody and just a lot more exposure to these characters that make that specific part of the star wars timeline feel a lot more important um it feels a lot more fleshed out and um it was met by a lot of success so now, um, as what often happens with really good animated shows, um, <laughs> uh, Clone Wars got to a point where uh, they got the green light for season six, but it was only kind of a half of a green light. I think they got the green light for like um, 12 or 13 episodes in season six. Or am I actually overestimating that? Is it only like seven or eight episodes? No, it is it is thirteen episodes. I, I looked. I actually looked uh, last night just to double check. It is thirteen. Okay, great. Um, so, um, as I understand it, from what I've heard about the development of season six, um, I've heard reports that it was very rushed. That they were not expecting uh, the deadlines and the cutoffs uh, that they were being handed. Um, very similar to what happened to uh, the last season of um, The Legend of Korra, if anybody is at all familiar with what happened uh, with that show. But um, so as a result, um, uh, season six is known for having a few very, very cool episodes that uh, kind of bring back and celebrate all the things that made us uh, fall in love with the Clone Wars. And it had some episodes that were very, very weird. 
And um, at the end of season six, everybody just kind of assumed, okay, well, that's it. Um, you know, that show had a really good run and it was a lot of fun, but, um, you know, that's kind of the end of the Clone Wars. It's kind of a shame that it ended on, on such a rushed note. But um, lo and behold, a, a couple of years ago, um, um, the old uh, the old crazy kooks over at Disney mm-hmm. were just like, um, uh, they're just like, hey, Dave. Hey, Dave Filoni. That um, show you had, it was um, it's pretty popular with people. How about we give you like 12 more episodes to like really tell the story that you want to tell with that show? Um, and also possibly kind of leave some seeds for like s- some future projects as well. Um, I'm a Dave Filoni was just... I was just like, oh, <laughs> sure, I'm I'm wearing this cowboy hat. Let's let's go. Um, as I've as I've heard, that's how he responds to most things. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, so they made season seven of the Clone Wars. Uh, it was very hyped up. In my personal opinion, um, season seven of the Clone Wars is is about two thirds of a fantastic season of that show. Uh, the first four episodes um, introduce uh, the Bad Batch, which is now a spinoff and kind of the spiritual successor to the Clone Wars show. But um, they introduced the Bad Batch, which was really interesting, uh, basically um, like a black ops, spec ops kind of team of um, optimized clones. Um, and then um, they introduce a four episode arc um, from episodes five to eight. That I think drag a lot. Um, they introduce characters that I'm not entirely sold upon, um, but it's it's whatever. It's fine. I'm sure there are people who who are in love with those characters, and I think that's great. I'm very happy for you. But in my opinion, um, the true fruit of of season seven and the true excellent ending of season seven is um, an arc known as um, the Siege of Andalore, which um, closes the storyline, at least at that phase in the timeline, uh, between Ahsoka Tano and Arth Maul. And it also introduces um, a new look and new perspective and viewpoint on what happened um, at um, the Order 66. So that's kind of an overview of what that show is about and what we are going to talk about tonight is those last four four episodes of The Clone Wars. Yeah, uh, you you did a fantastic summary. Thank you very much for that. I know I'd, I tossed that on you literally just a second ago. Yeah. Um, uh, for the record, guys, I gave him no warning on that. So, you know, ha- hats off to Al there. Um, hats off. <laughs> Except for you, Dave Filoni. You keep that you hat on. Keep that cowboy hat on, Mr. Filoni. I'm convinced that's where all your ideas live. <laughs> it's just in the hat. <laughs> um, but no, Al, you brought up a lot of very good points, um, especially really about the, the first point that I wanted to talk about because um, I I think that once Disney came to to Dave Filoni and they said, we want you to finish Clone Wars the way you want to. Um, 
because we we always knew that there were because even even as as far back as like 2012 2013 when they were doing like season six and everything there were rumors of the bad batch and uh siege of mandalore uh like, like concept art you know uh nothing nothing like concrete script wise but like discussions of what of what would happen and how it would be like the finale to the clone wars basically um Watching this season and particularly these last four episodes, you can kind of tell, um, especially these last four episodes, man, um, this was them. This was them at the height of their power there. There's no way around it. This is this is one of those finales that that, in my opinion, goes up there with a lot of the other greats when it when it comes to different different television series and the way that not only did it stick the landing, um, as being a really solid finale for the story, but also, like like you already said, reminded us of why we fell in love with these stories in the first place. Um, particularly because when when I started thinking, when I started watching it, I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, it is kind of interesting that these four episodes, although they feature, although they start off with a with a really good feature of Obi Wan and Anakin. They really focus on, in my opinion, their three strongest elements from the series being Ahsoka, Maul, and uh, the clones themselves, but particularly Captain Rex. Um, so, so I, I was kind of curious. Talk to me a little, just a little bit about Darth Maul in this, um, because his, because I started, I started trying to think. I was like, when is the last time we see him before this? And of course, the the comics. There's a little bit of backstory that kind of helps, kind of fill in certain gaps. But the last time we see him is Lawless, which is when Darth Sidious shows up, kills his brother, and just wrecks him. But talk to me a little bit about Darth Maul, uh, particularly at the start of the of this of this uh, uh, finale. Yeah. So um, so Darth Maul, and I realized that earlier when I said Darth Maul. Anybody who had not watched like any of the any of the animated shows um, who who may be listening to this is probably really confused. Uh, they probably <laughs> just had flashbacks to that uh, weird random scene in Solo, a Star Wars movie, um, where they were just like, <laughs> I think I think that's my favorite uh, reaction. Um, uh, that Ryan George has ever done um, in one of his videos where he covered that um, um, film and he's talking um, about that scene and and he's just like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but um, so for, uh, for anybody who, who does not know, one of the major story things that um, that the Clone Wars does, which if I'm not wrong, I believe was originally done in... Um, in the old canon in the EU, was um, they said, you know, uh, uh, Darth Maul's story is not going to end at the end of episode one. So they um, and so they pose this idea, um, uh, this like I think it starts off like very fast. It's like a t- t- two episode arc where they propose the idea, hey, what if Darth Maul survived? Um, Falling down um, the shaft, the gravity well, 
whatever that thing is. I don't <laughs> think it's ever even said. It's just a it's just a hole in the universe it's that involves a giant Naboo. hole in Naboo. Just a, just, just, a, just a hole in the center of Naboo. As he falls in, just like uh, the, the magic school bus is driving out. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, um, but um, yeah, the, um, they pose this idea. What if that isn't the end of Darth Maul's story? And so they give him an arc where um, um, he survives. Um, he gets um, in contact with um, his brother. Um, he's... First back to help. Um, he is given a new set of robot legs. Uh, that's very fun. And um, and the character arc for Darth Maul early on in the Clone Wars is very simple. It starts out very easily. He wants he wants revenge against Obi Wan. That's his whole thing because Obi Wan, you know, cut up in half and sent him down the history hole. Um, which is how I'm going to to refer to that scene from now on. Uh, <laughs> everybody, you were here first. Um, but as the show went on, and fan response was very positive to the idea of Darth Maul coming back, because Darth Maul, um, of course, if there's one objective opinion about the prequel films, it's that Darth Maul was criminally underused in the films that we got him in. Um, but as the fan response was very positive about bringing back um, Darth Maul, uh, you see his character kind of change over time. And while he still kind of holds on to the bitterness and the revenge he wants to get um, against Obi-Wan, the more he encounters the Sith and the more he encounters Count Dooku and the more he encounters um, Palpatine throughout the Clone Wars, the more his anger um, gradually kind of gets rechanneled towards the people who just kind of like, um, you know, use him as a tool, just kind of used him as just um, a means to their own end. And we see that happen. And now when we get to episode nine of the last season of this show, I do think it is worth talking about how Darth Maul is treated in the in the in the Rebels show, because there is character growth there. That while it takes place chronologically after this finale, um, Darth Maul's character growth and character arc in Rebels, I think, irreversibly changes how we see Darth Maul. And I think it irreversibly changed how Darth Maul was going to be presented in this four-episode arc. Um, because in Rebels, you learn that uh, Darth Maul's new thing is that he's trying to figure out a way to take down Palpatine. And through meditating on the Force, um, including the dark side of the Force, which I think brings up a really, really interesting idea... In, in kind of the uh, mythology of Star Wars. But um, through meditating on the Force and finding uh, various kinds of holocrons and things like that, he finds out that there is going to be eventually a person in the future who takes down Palpatine. And we see him, after he has that moment of realization in Rebels, and then his story continues from there, which I won't get into, but um, 
Now we see him in the end of the Clone Wars, and he's very much in that state of mind as well. He goes on kind of um, a speech to Ahsoka, talking about how, um, you know, Anakin is the key. Anakin is the key to destroying the Jedi, to destroying the balance of the Force, and he kind of implies that he could also be the key to destroying Palpatine, but he doesn't really understand how. So he's still kind of convinced that he, Darth Maul, still has to find a way to insert himself and and kind of change um, the fates a little bit and figure out what else there is to cause Palpatine's fall. And so I think where we find Darth Maul at the end of the Clone Wars, um, I think it's interesting. I do think his characterization is very much fleshed out and very much colored by how we see him in um, in quote-unquote the future um, in Rebels as well. But I think they handled it well enough that it feels more of like a natural kind of progression as well to where, you know... Um, um, Palpatine has killed his brother. His his anger is so much more rechanneled now towards Palpatine entirely. He can sense what is coming, and that kind of retrospectively plants the seeds for the character arc and the journey he goes on in Rebels as well. So, um, yeah, um, it's very interesting. Uh, they do a really good job uh, with Maul in this run of episodes by giving him a lot of depth and a lot of complexity while still showing that like, you know, his, his heart is still in the wrong place. He's still, he's still coming at it very much from an angle of, of revenge and obsession rather than wanting to do the right thing and wanting to help people. So it's very cool that they're able to add that complexity while still being able to maintain his role as this antagonistic, overall still very evil force. So I think that was very well handled in this um, in this arc of episodes here. Yeah, I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head with with Maul, especially in that last part, because. Um, in the same way that we view, you know, I would say Kylo Ren in Last Jedi, uh, Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi, and Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, Maul is very clearly someone who is very complex in the way that we view, that we can view them, but at the same time, they are still in the wrong throughout the majority of what we are watching. Um, like, like you said, and I, th- I think they balance that really well because I think there's certain points where you, we, we fall in love with these cer- certain villains. So, so much that we forget what it, what a villain actually is and if then are they actually evil? Um, and I think Maul really kind of nails that. I think, I think they, they kind of nail that aspect of Maul in this because you – yes, you do have moments where obviously he's working against a greater evil, but at the same time, there's still a point where he rips a door off of a uh, – like, like off a ship and then decapitates two clone troopers with it, and um, which – 
let me just say right now that from a villainous standpoint is one of the more badass things I've ever, I've mm-hmm. ever seen. But at the same time, still obviously very awful. Yeah. Um, so, this is a kid's show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing. That's something you didn't cover in your summary. Uh, for anyone who is who is just hanging out and still learning more about the Clone Wars, um, both the Clone Wars, Rebels, and the Bad Batch, in in my opinion, all three of them, in my opinion, have moments where it's almost like they forgot that this was supposed to be targeted towards younger audiences or really like an all ages kind of thing, and they were just like, "No, we're we're gonna do some, we're gonna do like some some messed up stuff, but we're just gonna cut away really quickly." Um, of course, then in Bad Batch they they forget that uh, that the last part. Um, yeah, it's but uh, but yeah. For anybody who thinks we're like uh, blowing that I got a proportion or anything like like um, very small spoilers or um, the Bad Batch but like in the last few episodes of the Bad Batch there is like an on screen like um there's like an on-screen suicide that a clone trooper does just in front of you. Yeah. And like you watch it and you're just kind of left just feeling kind of hollow and just being like, huh, glad I don't have like, you know, my like, <laughs> glad I don't have like my 10 year old brother in here watching this with me right now. Yeah. Like, like that would have been, <laughs> that would have been tough to explain. <laughs> Daddy, why did he chew the uh, the of uh, the electrified cyanide capsule? <laughs> well, son. <laughs> well, well, Johnny, you see, the more power that Dave Filoni gets, the more the hat takes over, and the hat does not care about the innocence of children. The cat only cares about the narrative strength of the shows. <laughs> Oh man, um, but no. C- continuing on, Maul. I think you. Uh, one of the most interesting aspects of this show, um, because I remember watching. So I recently finished Rebels. Finally, I had never watched all season four, which blows a lot of people's minds. Um, I knew what happened in it. I never actually watched it all the way through. Um, but I remember when watching season three. Because, because of course, the, the lead-up in Season 3, I'm, I'm not trying to spoil too much or, or really get off topic, but the lead-up in Season 3 um, was all leading up to, because it was in the first trailer and everything, to the final confrontation between Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi on Tatooine. And there's a point where he's talking in, in both the end of Season 2 and in parts of Season 3 where he's talking about Palpatine's plan. He's talking about how the... The, gal- the power of the galaxy has shifted and different, different things like that. And you're like, how does he understand all this? And you kind of you, – you brought up how this, this four-episode arc nails that aspect where, of course, he would know about aspects of Palpatine's plan because he was Palpatine's apprentice. Um, eventually, we're going to cover a book called Darth Plagueis, which also kind of goes into that. Um, you know, because the entire point of the rule of two with between Sith is to is for the master to hold the power and the apprentice to desire it. 
but that also means that the master will share a little bit of the knowledge of different plans and things like that. Um, so it would make sense that he would talk a little bit about it and, you know, kind of have this idea of how we're truly going to destroy the Jedi. Um, and it's not just going to be one, one by one, like you do on Naboo. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it was just really interesting to see like how Darth Maul feels it as well there. Cause there's a point where they, they, they do the, vo- they do a voiceover where they're basically replaying the entire scene and Palpatine's office with Anakin turning and um, basically leading to the death of Mace Windu, so on and so forth. And both Ahsoka and Darth Maul feel it. And it's just a really interesting scene, the way they play that out, because Maul... Maul is almost a protagonist in this, in the sense of that he that he is a character who moves the story along because he is terrified of what is truly coming in a lot of ways um not necessarily so much that he's terrified of it happening more so that he's terrified of not being ready to deal with the with the change of power within the galaxy um and of course the entire time he's just and i and i think that's i think that's where the performance of sam whitworth really comes comes out is Anytime that he's speaking to Ahsoka, it is like he is speaking to like a fourth grader about like uh, what, like uh, uh, political science or, or something to that effect, you know. And because because to him, he's he has no idea. He is a fool. He has no idea what's going on. Um, he's not even the person that was supposed to be there in in his mind, you know. And um, I don't know. I just I. I loved everything about that aspect of the performance where he's practically toying with her throughout most of it and then realizes, oh, <laughs> uh, ah- Ahsoka is, is something more than I, than I anticipated, um, which, is, which is pretty great. But speaking of Ahsoka, we would be far remiss um, if we did not speak about Ahsoka in this episode. So talk to me a little bit about where she is at and uh, – where where she ends up at the end of this, and how how well does it connect to the things that we see in? Oh, forgot another spoiler thing to for people to watch out for. Uh, how does it, how well does it connect to Tales of the Jedi and her role in Rebels as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, um, I do want to say one more thing about uh, of how Darth Maul is portrayed in this, real quick, um, because I found it so interesting that. Um, because I watched these episodes as they were coming out, and then this was the first time I went back um, and watched them again. And um, it's so interesting to see Darth Maul the entire time um, very much having the long game in mind, where, mm-hmm. um, you know, he even has a line where he's just like, dude, I, I orchestrated a civil war amongst the Mandalorians. Yeah just to get Obi-Wan and Anakin here. Like, like that was my whole purpose. Why? Because I know that somehow Anakin is going to be the key to eventually taking down Palpatine. Which, real quick, (laughs) because he also knows that Anakin is what is going to, uh, is what Palpatine is going to use. So actually, imagine being... 
being Darth Maul. And like you're you're leaving Tatooine, you're like, dude. So there was this one guy with a green lightsaber. I I dueled him. They ran off in a ship. There was also this kid there. And then Palpatine being like, this kid, you say? Like, imagine that. Like, <laughs> like dude, I have trained under you for 15 years. What? Why are you so obsessed about this kid all of a sudden? Like, that's just, I, I don't know. I the more the more I heard of the more I heard him say that like Anakin is the key, and the more I thought about that, like that means that he had to know. Like that, he had to hear about the little boy from Tatooine more than anything else. <laughs> it's true. Imagine, imagine how awkward that flight back was, where Darth Maul was just like, "Yeah, there was a kid I almost hit with my speeder bike as like I was as I was heading back to the ship." And Palpatine was just like, "Oh, actually, I created that child when I was a ghost." And Darth Maul just being like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> He's he's going he's going on one of his his episodes again. That's fine, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, you have this um, view of Darth Maul just being very long game, just orchestrating all of these things, and like it was it was bothering me so much because I'm just like, what? Who does he remind me of right now? And like the, the dynamic that's happening between Darth Maul and Ahsoka, like that is reminding me of something hardcore and I can't place what it is. And then we get to the point in, um, I think it's episode, um, Evan, I want to say where like they wheel Darth Maul out and he's like wearing like a Hannibal Lecter mask in like the cell they have. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, this like really, yeah, (laughs) it was silence of the lambs. That's what I was trying to think. of. (laughs) Thank you. Very on the nose imagery from Dave Filoni. (laughs) Maul is literally wearing a handful lecter mask as he's wheeled as he's wheeled into the ship. It's incredible. But um, anyway, I thought y'all I'd enjoy that. Um, no, so so if I had to pick somebody who is the main character of Clone Wars, which I don't usually like to do because I think the main strength of that show is that it's able to focus on so many stories and um, and develop so many characters. Uh, but if I had to pick one, it is probably a Soka. And the journey that we see Soka take up to this point, where she's being taught. Uh, by Anakin Skywalker, um, also having some mentorship as well from Obi-Wan. And she's seeing uh, just very much like two sides of what the Jedi are and what the Jedi can be um, in that relationship. Um, uh, Very much seeing Anakin, who symbolizes, you know, like um where the jedi could potentially go he has all the he's very young he has all this strength he's very headstrong and like he just kind of kind of causes like a bunch of trouble and drama within the jedi order and then she also sees obi-wan who kind of stands as like the the most pure idea of what 
a Jedi is at that time, right? Like after um, the death of Igon Jin, Obi-Wan is probably like the standout ideal of what the Jedi are have been and what they are ideally supposed to be. And so from her relationship with these two characters, Ahsoka gets this training and this exposure to these two alternate sides of what a Jedi is supposed to be and what a Jedi um, has a potential to be. And so she goes through that journey and so much of that journey is characterized as well by her um, her interactions <clears throat> excuse me her interactions and her relationship with the clones as well and we see that probably more so than any other character in the show ahsoka is the first person who really starts to think of the clones as like individuals who have inherent value outside of just being a a soldier of the Republic. And we see that Ahsoka is always the first one to really forge a close bond and relationship with the individual clones who she serves with. And so we see um, her character have all these exposures and have all these influences on, on who she becomes. And then towards the end of the show, um, of course, for anybody who has watched the show, you know this arc very well, um, there's um, this big investigation. I won't get into like the nitty gritty of it, but um, essentially um, the Jedi Council screws up and and this Oka sees <laughs> surprise, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, Ahsoka sees how the Council handles things, how they don't really care about how their decisions and how their actions actually um, affects those who are affected by them. They just want to like find the truth and find like the right thing to do regardless of how it affects other people. And so Ahsoka feeling very disillusioned with uh, the Jedi Order, feeling very betrayed by the Jedi Order, um, chooses towards the end of the show to to take her leave of the Jedi. And she casts off on the title of Jedi, she leaves the temple, and she goes out on her own. And what she's up to in between is kind of explored a little bit in episodes five through eight of the last season. Again, I don't think that arc is great, but um, it does kind of explain a little bit of what she's up to in between. And so we find Ahsoka now, and Ahsoka, has teamed up with Okatan, who is trying to take back control of Andalore. And, and Ahsoka, because she is such a good person, <laughs> is able to, to humble herself and take one for the team and just be like, well, if we want help, probably our best bet is to go with um, the Republic and go with the Jedi. Because at least Anakin and Obi-Wan will understand how big of a threat Hearth Maul is. And so they team up and um, they reach out to Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, and 
there are two exchanges that happen in episode nine that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, one of them is the exchange that happens between Pokaton and Obi-Wan um, because Pokaton is the worst and like is not being fair whatsoever in that scene. Um, and like, um, and like everybody knows that like Josh like hates Okatan. Um, and like, I think, uh, that one scene in episode nine of season seven of the Clone Wars does way more to make his argument for him than anything she does in season two of the Mandalorian because <laughs> she is the absolute worst in that scene. Because like, you understand, like, you know, this is her home, um, her people are suffering and things like that. But, like, you're still asking a man who you aren't on good terms with anyway to break, like, an international treaty <laughs> to, like, invade Mandalore when, like, they're already in the midst of a war. And bo is just like, well, I guess you're a coward and my sister never really loved you. And you're just like, whoa, what the hell? Like... <laughs> He didn't even say no. He just says he has to talk to people first. (laughs) (laughs) Calm the hell down. Um, And then the other interaction I'm not a huge fan of of in that episode is when Obi-Wan comes back um, and and tries to explain to Ahsoka that, like, hey, we just got word that Coruscant has been attacked. Um, And, like, um, General Revis has taken um, the Chancellor hostage. Um, And, like, you get, like, a very aggressive response from Ahsoka here, which, like, again, it's not without any explanation, but um, I do think it's, like, a little bit overblown at times, where Ahsoka is just kind of like, okay, well, the people on Andalore... We're suffering too. And Obi-Wan is just like, okay, I understand that. But like, Coruscant is a capital of the Republic and it just got attacked. Like, we have to see what's going on over there. And Ahsoka is just like, no, it sounds like you're just trying to protect the Chancellor. And Obi-Wan is just kind of like, I mean, kind of, yeah. (laughs) He's the leader of the Republic. Come on, Ahsoka, you know better than that. It's kind of our thing. (laughs) Like, yeah, we totally are. You're right. Um, uh, And so, like, that interaction is kind of weird. But it does kind of serve to show that, like, Ahsoka is in a weird place. Because she's trying to do the right thing. And she's trying to do everything she possibly can to make sure that the right thing happens. Right? She knows who Darth Maul is. She knows that if Darth Maul is in any kind of place of power, that that means really bad news. And so she's trying to do everything she can to correct that. Um, And that is a very tense and stressful situation for her because she has to go back to the very people who betrayed her, who showed her that, like, everything he believed in was not what they had taught her that it was. And so she's in a a very weird place, and she's in a place of a lot of inner turmoil, which makes her interactions with Darth Maul that much more captivating, in my opinion. Because if there is, excuse me, 
there is one thing that Darth Maul is really, really good at that we've seen him do time and time again is that he takes advantage of any kind of uncertainty and any kind of turmoil that you're experiencing. Um, I've already talked about some about how his character is kind of colored by what we see him do in uh, in the Rebel show. And his interactions with Ahsoka and where Ahsoka's at reminded me so much of um, his interactions with Ezra um, in Rebels. Because Ezra can, or I'm sorry, because Arth Maul can sense that Ezra is unsure and Ezra is very unsatisfied with who and where he is. And he finds something that they have in common and he latches onto that. And honestly, it makes for probably the most interesting story of a Sith kind of turning a Jedi, or at least trying to. Um, for example, I was way more invested in the relationship between Darth Maul and Ezra um, in that show than I ever was between, like, Rey and Palpatine, for sure. Like, <laughs> um, and so we know that uh, that's what Darth Maul does, and that's what he's very, very capable at. And so you take Ahsoka, who's in this place of uncertainty and is just very restless and very unsatisfied with how just the world around her works right now. And so we get the very good scene. They almost, um, and they almost last I esque scene between um, Ray and Kylo Ren, where Darth Maul like straight up like holds out his hand. And it's just like, you can join me and we can figure out what this is about and we can like stop it and we can like help make the world be a little bit more like what we think it should be. And so, um, so you have that interaction and it's just really, really interesting because you see her consider it. Like she is really, like really, really close to saying like, yeah, okay, let's see what we can do. And like the only thing that stops her is her question about Anakin. But um, it's so interesting to see all of that history the character has from the Clone Wars kind of culminate into this moment in time where Ahsoka, as skilled as she is and as wise as she is, and as experienced as she is, she is still a person who is very hurt by what her life has turned out to be. And that still makes her very vulnerable to these bitter, angry temptations that Darth Maul is so skilled at being able to present to people um, and hook them into it. So, um, yeah, um, I know I talked probably way too long about Ahsoka. Uh, I love Ahsoka very much, um, if you can't tell. But uh, that's kind of where her character is at. And then that leads in uh, very well, uh, this idea that, like, um, we, you've talked about it before, but, like, you know, 
ultimately the outcome of Order 66 is that the Jedi lose. Like that's that's how that story ends. <laughs> is that the Jedi lose. And so by the end of this show, in the end of this arc, you have Ahsoka who who has been betrayed, who has been disillusioned, who has been tempted by Darth Maul, who has had to watch a lot of her friends die, has had to feel the unbalance of the force when her friends die, and she's broken and shattered. And I think that's a perfect lead-in into where she's at in Tales of the Jedi to kind of explain like why she is not involved in the rebellion and why she does not want to fight um, at first until um, the Empire comes and reminds her of who she really is and what she really cares about. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where that heads to. Yeah, I I love everything about Ahsoka in this episode, or in, in this finale. The, uh, because... So I, I, I don't want to harp on it again because I did a seven minute rant on why why great Jedi's don't work. But I've heard a lot of people say, well, Ahsoka's a great Jedi because you're not actually part of the Jedi Order. Okay, here's the thing. So this honestly, the next time someone says that, I'm going to point to this these four episodes. Because the entire point <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I'm I'm getting I'm getting choked up because I'm getting I'm getting so intense. Um Bro, same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, the entire point of the, of the, uh, here's a, here's a, here's a triple word score for you. The juxtaposition mm. of, of, uh, Ahsoka and Maul in this is that they are two people. And, and like you said, they are two people who have been disillusionized from something that they literally were born into for, for all intents and purposes. And raised into at the very uh, if if we really want to get you know technical about this, something that they have known their entire lives lied and betrayed them, and because of that, they have each gone their own way and are going about their own way in the galaxy, but they are doing it in clearly very different ways. And I think that's why the four episodes. I think that's why you know episodes like what we see in Tales of the Jedi. And yes, although they they do drag the four episodes where she's helping the two sisters um, show you the difference between what makes Maul and what makes Ahsoka, because they are two people who, even though they have no like connections to what they what they were raised into, but Maul only knows evil, but Ahsoka only knows the act of helping others. And that's ultimately where where this whole thing goes. The the reason she wants Maul, like you said, and the reason that she wants to save Mandalore is not because she Ahsoka has no personal connection to Maul whatsoever. She never, to the best of my knowledge, they never see each other. They never see each other in the show prior to this. Um Beyond just like her hearing about him, she has no actual connection as to why she wants to take him down. It's literally just because she wants to save the people of Mandalore. And that right there tells you everything you need to know about her. Um, even to the point of after Order 66 happens, you know, I, I kind of uh, – there. 
of course, the the whole thing is, uh, you know, she she removes Rex's inhibitor chip, and that's how Rex doesn't want to kill Jedi and is able to disobey Order sixty six. Um, but there's a point where Rex is just like, look, we could just start blasting them. Like, I mean, I, I know it sucks, but I mean, it's it's kind of killer be killed at this point. And Ahsoka's like, we're not going to do that. And once again, I I. You, in my opinion, that does not make Rex a bad character or a bad person. That makes Rex a soldier. That makes Rex, you know, come off as someone like we have a new enemy. It just happens to be someone who we have lived with for the last three years. Um, but to but to the, her credit, even Ahsoka is like, we're not going to harm them. We're going to do everything in our power to not harm them. Meanwhile, four blocks away, Darth Maul is just destroying you know entire squads of them um but you know that's just because it's in my opinion that's why it works so well though is because of the two of them constantly playing off of each other so well um and like i already said i mean sam witwer and ashley Eckstein, we cannot say enough good things about them um as voice actors in this their performances are really in my opinion some of the best of their career um in these four episodes they just they absolutely f- nail it um although i do agree with you um as good as this is the for some reason the the two and i'm i'm so glad you brought it up because both of those interactions were really annoying to me um be, because one like you said yeah bo katan is the absolute worst um or, or, or at least you know, talk at least in that scene. I, I know, I know, we may not like hate Bo-Katan the way that Josh does. Um, yeah. Again, I don't, th- I don't think there's any point um, in um, season two of the Mandalorian where Bo-Katan is anywhere near as insufferable as she is in that scene. No, there's, there's no way around it. Um, there's just, it, it's, it's not even, it's not even close. Um, I don't really know why they did it, like wrote it like that. But anyways, it's it's whatever. Um, but yeah, that and then the scene where where he's like, where she just randomly is like, "Nah, man, screw Palpatine." Like, like, <laughs> oh, okay, Ahsoka, all right. Um, because in the same way of everything I just said about her as a character, that really goes against who she is as a character. I know she wants to. I know she wants to help Mandalore because they are the downtrodden, and I guess she probably sees Palpatine as like the the higher ups and and the rich, I guess. And she's like, well, the, the other people can take care of him. Which, to be fair, I don't disagree with that aspect. Why does it have to be Obi Wan and Anakin? I understand it's Obi Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. I get sure. that. But there are, I mean, Mace Windu's there. Yoda is there. Shock T is supposedly protecting him, which. By the way, I did like that as a call out to both the Guinea Tartakovsky Clone Wars and a Revenge of the Sith deleted scene. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's there are a lot of other Jedi. There's not yeah. it's it's not, they are not the only two in the galaxy. So so I think <laughs> I understand where he's coming from on that. But, but and like yeah. all and like all they really have to do to fix that scene is um, instead of Obi Wan saying that Palpatine um, was was captured and taken hostage all he has to do is just be like oh there was an attack on coruscant and um ace windu 
was hurt and we have to go help him. And then Ahsoka just be like, screw me, Swindu. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that make oh, a lot more sense for a character because like yeah. Windu was one of like the harshest people during um, uh, during Ahsoka's trial in the first place mm-hmm. and stuff. And there's like still like iciness there that you see whenever um, she goes and talks to like the holograms of like the council and stuff. So that would have made way more sense if Ahsoka had just been like, what? Who cares about Mace Windu? Let's go, let's go <laughs> capture them all. What are you talking about? So, so speaking on, on those scenes and speaking on Mace Windu um, and Yoda and everyone else, um, there is, there is a, there is a very um, kind of stark contrast to see um in in this in these episodes where we see two groupings of people who are basically just idiots in a lot of ways and can't do anything without anyone else um one being the Jedi council um and in my opinion the other one being basically every mandalorian um that isn't just Bo that isn't Bo Katan, but even Bo Katan needs needs more help. But the problem the problems that we see in this is that I mean, of course, everything that led up to this was just they they all just got their asses handed them handed to them in different ways. Um lead up to, you know, the fact that somehow all mech becomes becomes prime minister. Um <laughs> and and so and you know that's Lord, Lord, thank, thank goodness we have such strong leadership there. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I was, I was just really, it was really kind of intriguing to me to see how the Mandalorian leadership by the end of this is either Gar Saxon, um, Bo-Katan, all mech at one point, but of course he gets killed, um, or a very young Ursa Wren. If you really want to go that route, um, but uh, I was kind of intrigued to see that, and that kind of leads into what I was going to ask you about how how much do you think this will affect where Mandal where where Mandalore is in Mandalorian season three? Um, not trying to get entirely into Mandalorian season three too much, but but the aspects of what we see in this, what we see in Rebels, but where where do you think Mandalore as itself is going to be going forward? Oh yeah, I mean like um, that is the question, and like for everybody out there who's curious, we are literally recording this on the eve of the premiere of Mandalore yeah. season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it is like a a counting down of the hours at this point, mm-hmm. um, but um. If you're gonna stay up and watch it, we I, I will be watching it tomorrow night. But yeah, I will be as well. Yeah, um, we we're yeah. adults. We have jobs. It sucks. Yeah, we've got jobs where you have to be up early. Uh, <laughs> it is unfortunate, but um, um, yeah, I mean that is the question, and like, um, it's so interesting because I mean we talked about it earlier. But like there's still a significant event that happens to Mandalore even after all this. 
And by the end of this show, like by the end of like episode 10, which is the last time we really see Pandalore, because um, they go into space and Order 66 happens. But by the end of episode 10 of the show, like, like, Pandalore is already in a rough spot. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I, like I joked about it earlier. Like, um, it's it's not surprising that like uh, the Empire was able to so effectively purge the planet of Mandalore because like we're like at the tail end of the Clone Wars, and there's like at best like two hundred Mandalorians even left. Yep. Like, like the toll that this planet has has had like, <laughs> over the last few years is wild, and so something that um that does, that will not come as a surprise to anybody who has seen the Rebel show, but um um it did kind of jog my memory though because it has been a while since I watched those episodes, is that I kind of forgot that um. That uh, both Gar Saxon and and Hook Cast are like taken prisoner, yeah, by Pokaton at the end of the siege. Because for some reason, in my mind, I was just like, they escape. They like have to. <laughs> because how else <laughs> do they come back? To cause trouble, <laughs> like, like they they have to they have to escape. There's no other way. And then we see them like taken prisoner, and like, dude, if I'm like, man, Poketon has to be really bad at ho- at holding people prisoner. <laughs> like, there's no there's no other explanation. Apparently, the like the cell that she shipped off Darth Maul in was like the only jail they had on the entire planet. Like, <laughs> and they just kind of like tied Gar Saxon up to a post and were just like, "Okay, we aren't going to watch you, but don't move, <laughs> don't and move," then, <laughs> and then just left <laughs> because there's no reasonable. This is Bo-Katan, okay? I'm sure there's like some like. Uh, um, story that explains exactly what happens in between like this and like all of the Mandalorian stuff that happens in Rebels but like this is Bo-Katan the fact that Bo-Katan took Gar Saxon prisoner in the first place feels very out of character like (laughs) like, she should have killed him she should have executed him as soon as as soon as she had the chance there's no way so um yeah, um, I think with um, season three of um, The Mandalorian, I think we're going to get very much into the politics and the hierarchy of what is going on with um, the rest of the Mandalorians. I think we're going to get uh, very heavily into um, into um, the Saxon family. We're going to get very heavy into the Hatan family. I think the um, um, I think the Vizsla clan is going to prove to be very important in season three. Um, um, and then you also have like um, the foundlings, 
Um, you have the Ren clan as well. I mean, I think we're going to see like a almost kind of Game of Thrones esque kind of um, politics happening with the various families and clans of mm-hmm. war. And so I think this um, last arc of Clone Wars um, is very good material to view because it kind of sets the stage for these various clans and uh, the big players in the history of Andalore and um, and things like that. So um, it'll be very interesting. That does lead me to ask you um, a question, though, about... Um, um, about possibly something we'll find out in, um, in season three of The Mandalorian, uh, because it's a theory I've seen th- uh, thrown around a few times, and after having rewatched um, on these episodes, I'm even more intrigued about it. Um, what do you think about the fan theory that um, Rook cast is the armorer in The Mandalorian? Hmm. Ooh, I honestly had not thought about that. Um, but here's the thing. So everything about that would make sense. Literally every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense. Because you mentioned, so, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned the Vizsla family who were the founders of Death Watch. Um, and Death Watch is, by all technical reference, I don't think they actually call themselves that at any point, except for one time Bo-Katan calls them that. Right. But the thing about the, this is the way, not taking off the helmets, um, it is something that happens post-Clone Wars mm-hmm. to go that route, because I think, man, that it has to be Raquel. If the, if they are going to make her, if they're going to make that into a character that we know, it has to be Rakast. There's no way around it. Um, because everything else matches up with it. So, um, because the, the only two people that you see in Book of Boba Fett that are part, is the armor and Paz Vizsla, mm-hmm. who, um, uh, John, uh, uh, it's John Favreau's character in, in the show. Um, mm-hmm. Because he also played pre Vizsla in Clone Wars, um, but Paz Vizsla for Mandalorian fans is the uh, the one who has the giant minigun um, at the end of season one, and basically saves Din at the final battle of Navarro. And um, or it's know, really cool. No, 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 excuse me. He covers he covers Din whenever he's escaping with Grogu the first time. Excuse me, I, I misspoke. Um, he's he really has, cool. He's a really cool character. He really like his like his designs really cool. I I think he's kind of he's he he has moments where he's an ass, but once again he is a Vizsla, so that kind of makes sense. Um, because all of them are very pretentious and they they always want to be the leaders because everyone thinks they're Tar Vizsla and no one's ever really Tar Vizsla. Um, but there but I mean that point where he he's got the giant minigun and he and he you know he's blasting. He just looks at he just looks at Din and just goes, "This is the way." And then you know it's a it's a really cool moment. Um, and once you find out that they are, I, I think, I think there is kind of a twist that happens in season two for like, it's a subtle one because once you find out that, that the people that you've been watching, the people you've been enjoying are the guys who are basically the villains of clone wars. That's when you're like, Oh, 
oh, oh I, I don't know how I feel now. Oh yeah. Um, I, there there is conflict within me. <laughs> um, but I I I think you're I think you're absolutely correct about the, especially with with this season. Because I don't think there's anything else they could do than do a, like you said, a Game of Thrones kind of style um, diving into the families of the Mand- of the Mandalorians, um, at least this season. Now, now season supposedly they have plans for after for, for, for six seasons. Um, I mean, so next season, yeah, we, we get back into the world of, you know lightsabers and and figuring out what we're going to do a grogu and 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 so on and so forth fine sure let's do it but i think with this we i think for two seasons we've been leading up to this conflict where someone is going to have to unite the mandalorians and by all technical reference din jarn is the one with the dark saber so i mean i I know i know bogatan's gonna want it but Bo-Katan has had the dark saber twice now and has lost it both times. So, um, you know, not trying to, not trying to be that dude. But, Inexplicably. You know. Inexplicably. Yeah. Exactly. Inexplicably. <laughs> um, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I do think with like, if I had to guess, I don't even know if like, there's going to be any point in season three where like they, come out and say just like oh the armor that's rook cast who, who fought with darth maul and gar saxon in the siege of Mandalore. i don't th- i don't know if we'll ever have that but like i think um i would not be surprised if we saw the kind of scene where like um Umwer din brings the uh, the remnants of death watch to Mandalore again and um uh and the armor sees Okaton and um and just basically begins to talk shit because like um I mean it's really like it's such an interesting approach to that story because like in the mind of of the armor and the rest of Death Watch, I mean like um, like, you know, they are the victims of recent Andalorian history and stuff. Like, they are the only ones who, like, who know, like, the true way of the Andalorian. They were exiled to one of the moons, which sounds a lot like what <laughs> sounds a lot like something that... Okatan would do after the events of Rebels. <laughs> that sounds a whole lot like something he would do. Would just be like, you know what? All of you who fought with Axon and this rebellion, I'm going to send you to the moon um, because I'm incapable of killing people. Uh, <laughs> but like, and so I would not be surprised if we see that kind of approach that very much brings into question. Uh, or not even in a question, just kind of points out the fact that, like, you know, very objective events in history can be told from a lot of different viewpoints and perspectives that very much change how things actually seem. And for someone like Din, who's a 
foundling who got taken in by what um, Hokatan and the rest of the Mandalorians would almost call like some kind of weird um, religious cult of traitors. Like, um, that's the only version of Mandalore that he knows. And so, like, like when he shows up to Mandalore, everything that he understands about it and everything that he knows about what it is to be a Mandalorian is going to be very much fleshed out and influenced by the people who who sided with, quote-unquote, the bad guys. And so um, just having that um, dynamic out there, uh, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see in season three, especially with this arc of the Clone Wars as kind of a backdrop for it. Well, I think one thing, and we're, we, I promise we're going to get back to Clone Wars here in just a second. Um, <laughs> but we, one, we are excited. Um, and two, like you said, this really does connect with the Mandalorian. Um especially with this part, because I think something that's really interesting about the original trilogy era and even the sequel trilogy era, which is what we are getting closer to. We're apparently, um, I think in this season, we are 10 years after um, the battle of Yavin, which means we are roughly six years after Endor, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if my math is correct. Um, so we are we are approaching the sequel era and we are approaching that kind of time period. I think to start asking the questions of how does the next generation take over, how does the next generation continue things forward, is the not only the most interesting place that Star Wars could go, but really it's the really the main place that Star Wars could go from here. Um, don't get me wrong, I love Clone Wars, I love Bad Batch, I love and I. Really, really liked Andor. Um, but the thing is, is that we are going to run out of stories we can tell in between Revenge of the Sith and uh, and A New Hope soon. Um, you know, we're, we're, we you can only do so much in, in those 19 years. Um, so so I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm I am really intrigued to see where they go from here. I am really intrigued to see where where they take the. The discussions of what it means to be a Mandalorian, and in, in the same way that, in the same way, I'm interested to see where the discussions are. I was intrigued to see where the discussions of what it means to be a Jedi were going forward, um, which I would love to again. But as you and I have discussed, and as we even discussed with Jenny on a podcast, they have given up on sequel era content. Um, you know, so that that's fun. Cool. But yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that's just where Star Wars ends. That's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's right there. There's nothing else that happens. Nothing else happened. Um, just the heat death of the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> some um, ra- some random chick in the desert asked Ray what her last name was, and just, just everything fe- everything fell into the mystery hole on Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Darth Maul came back and was like, "I told you, I tried to warn everyone. I knew it would happen one day." Yeah, which all that means is that the sequel trilogy will come back with robot legs. Whoa. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right. Okay. That, that, this is going to be Josh's favorite episode of the podcast. I, I hope that. <laughs> I really do. Um, back to Clone Wars because I did do kind of want to wind down a little bit. Yeah, of course. Because I do kind of uh, – I actually want to go ahead and open this up into our hypest moments. Um, oh, my God. We've come so far. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, because I feel like one of the two of us is going to talk about – Something I want to talk about next. So, Al, we'll start with you. What is your hypest moment of, of, of these four episodes? Cool, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of hype moments in these really four is. episodes. It's so cool. Um, I think. Oh gosh. Ah, there's so many. Um. There is a a point, um, and actually the last episode, where um, Rex and Ahsoka are trying to flee from um, the ship and stuff. And they're out in, like, the shuttle uh, that they were able to find. And they're, um, I mean, Rex is... In the shuttle, and he flies out because he got like force pushed onto it by Ahsoka because Ahsoka's the best. And um, he's flying about, and Ahsoka just jumps out of the ship and is falling. And she's falling and falling, and she's like kind of navigating herself around and stuff. And, um, that scene is so hype, not just because of what it is, because it is really cool, but also because it works so well as a throwback to episode nine, the first episode of this arc, where she is doing a very similar thing where they're first flying to siege Andalore, and she jumps out of the troop transport, and she's like... Uh, just kind of guiding herself through the air and she's jumping onto other transports and she's hiding a bunch of the Mandalorians and jumping off again. And uh, she jumps down and saves a bunch of the clones and things like that. And that scene is really cool. And then it's a throwback, but also um, I'm, I'm going to use um, your five taller word you used earlier. It's also like such a good position of tone as well because where she was doing all of this to help save and support the clones um um and to help save her friends now she's doing it as a way to flee from those same friends who have now been changed and are um, are trying to stop her and trying to kill her and rex and now when she um and now when she reaches out to this huddle that her friend is in, instead of reaching out to, like, help save them, she's reaching out almost in desperation. Um, and just to see that kind of uh, uh, callback and that um, kind of, like, visual storytelling stay so consistent. Um that part was really, really cool. Yeah, I um, 
you know, you know what's crazy is I did not notice, I did not notice it that way uh, until you just said it. But you're absolutely correct, Be, particularly the scene where she lands on the shuttle and everything, because um, it's exactly like that opening. Um, yeah, I yeah, that's that's a great moment. <laughs> um, so mine is mine has to be the like the entire thing is cool but that opening lightsaber duel between ahsoka and maul um so for those of you who do not know and and you can you can tell you can tell by everything about the way they're handling this production you can tell by the fact that like the it has the 1970s lucasfilm limited at the beginning of every of every episode um when Dave Filoni and crew were given the Disney money, they were like, all right, let's do this. Let's let's finally go to work and make everything we wanted to happen happen. Um, the animation in this is second to none. Um, it, I, I'd put it up against literally anyone. Um, it, it, particularly, it, let me rephrase, from a, from a 3D perspective, um, I would put it up against anyone. Um, because there are moments that are absolutely stunning. I mean, the, the two moments you talked about where she's where she's falling out of the sky are breathtaking to look at. Um, but what is really interesting, and and what is my hypest moment, is the duel between Maul and Ahsoka. One because of the way it's animated, but also because of the behind the scenes of it. Al, I'm assuming you are familiar, or at least know you most likely know this. Um, and it's also the reason that most of the the actions and all of them look so crisp. Um, this was one of the this is one of the first times they used motion capture in 3D animation um, for for excuse me for Star Wars. Um, I I don't think they did in Rebels or in Tales of the Jedi or anything. I think they went back to just kind of doing the molds and everything. But with this one, they wanted to go. They wanted to do like a full motion capture um, performances and everything. And so Ray Park, who played Darth Maul in episode one, and a stunt woman named Lauren Mary Kim, who is who has been in everything you just didn't know she was there. I mean, I, I go to her Instagram and just scroll through her reels for a little bit. I swear she has so many credits and has been in so many different movies and shows that I was just like, Oh, she was the stunt woman in that scene. And in that scene and in that scene. Um, and when you watch, there's a behind the scenes video of the two of them planning out this duel, the same way that like Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen did, um, the Mustafar duel years ago. There's them. There's a behind the scenes video of them doing the choreography on this and it is exceptional to watch because you are seeing two people who are legitimate masters of their craft working together to perform. I mean, I, I it's it it wouldn't it would I would not feel wrong calling it almost a dance because every move has to be perfect and they nail it. They absolutely nail it. Um, there is. There's there's never a point where that lightsaber fight is going to be on where I will be looking at my phone or wondering what el what else is happening like in in my like 
like what anyone else is talking about or anything else. So if, if if that scene is on, I'm, my eyes are going to be glued to it. Um, even so much to like, there's there's this really cool scene where it's just like it's it's such a small thing, but it's something that I had seen him do um, in different videos and different training videos and different uh, um, even even in the in early episode one stuff where Darth Maul. Ray Park as Maul, excuse me, um, or or Darth Maul, um, is doing this like because of course he has the double he has the double bladed lightsaber. He's using his right side of the of the saber, almost like he is just like he's almost doing it like almost like a boxing combo, where he hits her once with the left side. And then just starts barreling down with her on the right side and just keeps hitting her and then does this little this very small jump just to get enough of an angle on her to where he's going to try to break through her defenses. But of course, Ahsoka is Ahsoka, so she dodges it really well. A small scene like that where two people are able to create that moment that is just ingrained in my memory. That is that is what makes a that's what makes a captivating choreography. Um, I will always be, I will always be a bigger fan of, of a, of a lightsaber or, or really any kind of fight that has more emotion behind it, as opposed to really good choreography. That's why there are multiple. That's why the duel on Mustafar is not my favorite lightsaber duel um, because it is very choreography heavy. Um, same way with duel of the fates um, as, as much as I love both of those, but give me, you know, Ray versus Kylo Ren in the, in the on Starkiller base or give me Luke versus Vader on the second Death Star any other day because both of those have a lot of raw emotion in them. In my opinion, this is one of the top five best lightsaber duels of all time because it nails both aspects of that where the choreography is there, but you also have this really strong. I don't want to say animosity towards each other, but honestly, that's where they're at when they when they're fighting each other, because both of them. Like, like I said, they have such solid ideals of uh, or excuse me, such, such, such solid ideologies of we were both cast aside, but we both want to do things our own way. And you are standing in the way of that. And that's why that scene and that fight works so well. Um also, it's never not going to be cool to see someone duel while they are on like basically a balance beam. Um, right. That's always, that's always going to look impressive to me. It doesn't it doesn't matter if it's animated, it doesn't matter if it's real life, whatever. Because because that's just stuff like that is always really cool to me. And there and there's a they they do a lot of really cool like movements on that as well. It's just I, I don't know. I just I loved every every moment of that of that lightsaber duel. Um, yeah. And I know that's the very. I know that's that is a very basic answer. Obviously, oh, my favorite part was a lightsaber duel. I get that, okay. But I mean, the same way. There's a reason that "Stairway to Heaven" is one of the first songs you think of when you think of Led Zeppelin. Lightsaber duel is one of the first things you think of when you think of Star Wars. It's just they're they're both they're both great, okay. Um, so sure. yeah. yeah. Um, I would be remiss to not uh, bring up something I realized when I watched this is that um, at the end of that 
lightsaber duel when they're up in like the rafters and are fighting each other. And um, Maul has like hawked away both of the Soka's lightsabers. Um, she like she does a move where she cuts in into him close and like grabs the hilt of his lightsaber and uses it as like a leverage point to like wrest it away from him and also like throw him off of it as well. And um, I realized something when I watched that this time, that is almost frame for frame the move that she uses in Tales of the Jedi against the Inquisitor. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where she he just kind of confronts him and he goes to strike at her and she sidesteps and steps into him and just kind of like grabs the the hilt or like the combined hilt of the double lightsaber and and she rests it away from him and then just like strikes him and kills him almost instantly because she knows in her mind if this move worked against Darth Maul who's like arguably like the best double-ended lightsaber user of all time then like I know it'll work against this edgy chump <laughs> with like the mask on and stuff but um yeah it's like almost um it's almost frame for frame the exact move that she uses in tales of the jedi that's that's awesome i never yeah. i didn't even notice that but yeah man look 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 at look at us look look at a little and look at look at look at star wars at and, and the dave and dave filoni and crew because i I don't know much about the like the animation department, but I'm, I would assume he has a similar grouping on pretty much every project. Uh, maybe not on Mandalorian as much, but obviously like the animation stuff, I would assume they're using people who have done this before or, or people who have worked on their projects with him. Um, so, yeah, I, there, there's no way. I mean, you're the more I think about it, you're absolutely right. There, there's no way that's not intentional. Yeah. Um, and and that's and that's the beauty of like that's the beauty of show don't tell and and that's 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 the beauty of you know subtlety within certain scenes. Um, same way with uh, how Obi Wan defeats Darth Maul, he basically he does what Qui Gon should have done, and that's the whole that's the whole point of that scene. Um, yeah, man, that's a great that that's fantastic. All right, so Al, I'm a, I'm a, I know the answer, but I'm I'm assuming is actually I won't do. Is this in your canon? Is this recommended viewing for for Star Wars fans? In your opinion, let's go let's go with that. Oh sure. Um, obviously, I know it's in your grand canon. There's no <laughs> way around it. Um, yeah, I would say I don't know if it's required viewing, but um, man. If you want to know just like if you want to watch a very short story that provides a lot of really cool background for so many of the stories that 
have been towed and are going to be towed in the future. Like, I can't think of a better story to recommend than this or episode arc. Um, other than, other than like the original trilogy of movies, obviously, but like, <laughs> but um, I'm like, I mean, even if, even if you just kind of have like a passive understanding of who these characters are and the story that's being told, there's enough significant character work already existing there, just in those. Four episodes that I think almost anyone would be able to find it enjoyable. Um, the action is so well done that like it's very just like um, very fun as well. Um, to just watch and just like enjoy the cool action sequences. But um, yeah, I mean when I th- think about the stories that. Are coming up with Star Wars. I mean, we have season three of them, Mandalorian. We have the Ahsoka show. Um, like, we have these stories that are about these characters that established fans already are very much invested in and have opinions about, and they understand where these characters are coming from. And if you want to hop in and kind of enjoy it on that same level then i mean these four episodes are so easy to just sit down and watch and enjoy that like i can't think of a better way for people to get caught up on all of these characters and ideas that um are coming in the future and um i will say as the last thing about the canon or not canon discussion is that one of the very big areas of contention with old canon versus new canon is is the characterization of the clones right we talked about this last year with um our good friend josh um whenever we talked about the old Clone wars cartoon is that, you know, in the old canon, the clones knew what their ultimate purpose was. They knew that Order 66 was coming. They knew what they were ultimately about. And that was really interesting. And it is really cool to think about them in that way. I think that adds a lot of really interesting sides to who and what the clones are in the scope of the story. But the scene where Ahsoka enters the the docking bay and sees all of the clones and all of them have like the face paint on their helmets and the scene where rex is uh, has just received order 66 and he is fighting with every ounce of energy within his body against executing this order that he is physiologically and psychologically programmed to execute and still trying to find something within him to stop him from doing it 
um, as cool as the old Canon clones are, and I do think they're really cool, just those two scenes alone are enough for me that if you take away the Darth Maul stuff, if you take away the Mandalorian stuff, and if you take away Ahsoka, even, and and like the extreme obsession and love I have for that character. Those two scenes alone, for me, are enough to convince me to high in to who who the clones are and what they are in the new canon over the old canon. So that's where I'm at on it. <clears throat> yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Um yeah, because because excuse me, that the, really Rex is the one thing we didn't talk about enough in this. Um, but that's because really his his best scenes happen. We really focus on Mandalore, and his best scenes happen in the last two episodes, in my opinion. Um, because you're right, there there is something. It season six is worth it because of fives season six is worth it because of him learning about order 66 and basically losing his mind because of it. And then that leading to Rex always having a quest, having questioned the order and what happened to his friend. Um, that works and is, and is brought beautifully in at this because that's the whole thing that the only thing he can get out, as he is, as he is being forced to shoot someone who is probably the closest person to him in the galaxy at that point, um, the only thing he can get out is find him, find fives, and that that saves the day really, um, because I don't know. I love Ahsoka, and Ahsoka is great, and and Ahsoka is incredible. I do not know if she would have been able to escape without rex mm. and yeah. likewise i love rex rex is also great i don't think rex would have been able to escape without ahsoka and obviously he wouldn't have had his inhibitor chip taken out um which then leads to the bad batch it leads to gregor and wolf um leads to presumably commander cody um in a couple episodes i'm i'm a little behind on bad batch but i'm kind of assuming that's where they're heading with that mm. um yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um but all all of that you know like you like you said I love the old clones. I do. I there's I will watch the I will put the Guinea Tartakovsky Clone Wars on and just watch those arc troopers absolutely destroy like an entire like city block of battle droids and a tank and it's one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars really star wars history but i would trade all of that for the scenes of captain rex in this and and for the scenes that and for the scenes that we're going to see going forward and i would trade all of that for hunter and his relationship to omega and bad batch and so on and so forth because all of the clones truly do have their own identity and they are all are their own characters and D. Bradley Baker does not get enough credit for the fact that every clone sounds different, but also sounds the same. 
And there's no proper way I can explain that until you watch the multiple shows. Um, because you know I'm right. Um, yeah, and, and D Brother Baker is the man. He's he's one of the best voice actors of all time. Um, uh, he is, um, I mean, we have a, we have a thing here at the Fandom Correspondence um, where I feel like each of us has has one or two phrases or things they say just like constantly. And it's just like reset the clock. You know, Jacob talked about Kingdom Hearts unprompted or like um, I've talked about how awful of a company Ubisoft is or whatever. Um, um, our... Our good friend Josh has one where he always enjoys um, any opportunity uh, where he can say that Disney saved Star Wars from itself. Mm. And I would like to take this chance to have a spinoff phrase of that where um, if Disney saved Star Wars from itself than the incredible work of Deep Bradley Haker ensured that there was something of Star Wars left to save. Mm. Because we have already talked about, like, the Star Wars drought that happened, like, Clone Wars was the thing that kept Star Wars a part of the cultural zeitgeist for so many years. I mean, like, everybody still had of or the movies and all that, like, they are an unalterable part of our culture for sure, but like, as far as the drought goes, as far as Star Wars staying somewhat in the public eye and as a huge player in Phantom culture for that time period like that survival state of star wars is definitely on the back of e bradley baker absolutely yeah there's no no ifs ands or buts on that one all right my friends well thank you all so very much for hanging out with us I hope that you all have enjoyed this. Hope that you have enjoyed our discussions on the Siege of Mandalore. Um, and I hope that you have a wonderful day. And I hope that the Mandalorian season three is everything you want it to be. And I hope that's everything. And I, know, I pretty much know it's going to be everything we want it to be. But mm-hmm. all the same. Um, thank you all so much for hanging out with us. Uh, hey, Jacob. Yes, Al. Uh, uh, just in case the audience um, is interested in keeping up um, with us and being uh, ready and prepared for next month's episodes of the Star Wars EU or E-Review. What are we going to cover in March? That is an exceptional question that I'm pulling up my calendar for. (laughs) I completely forgot. (laughs) Hang on. Hang on. I'll get there. (laughs) Everybody enjoying the... A little glimpse behind the curtain here that, <laughs> that sometimes we have to do. <laughs> we are covering in March. 
Drum roll, please. Oh my God, where is it? Wait. Oh, okay, there it is. All right. It's. I. Why did I put it so early? Um. <laughs> sorry, because I haven't been playing this yet. I need to. Anticipation um, is just building and building. <laughs> <laughs> we are covering in Mark Star Wars: The Force Unleashed. Woo! Oh, oh my God, we are. I yeah. forgot. I forgot about. That. Oh, did you think of what? <laughs> I thought we were. I thought we were doing Darth Plagueis next month. Oh, are we doing? I thought. I thought is Darth Plagueis April? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hi. To- <laughs> Welcome to Star Wars EU review. No, April is courtship of Leia. Courtship of Princess Leia. Okay, I don't know why I thought we were doing Darth Plagueis. Everyone, See, we're doing Star Wars: The Force Unleashed next month. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, we hadn't we hadn't made a state. So our original plan was to do Force Unleashed the same month that uh, Jedi Survivor came out. Remember? Yes. I yes. That. Now everyone else is part of our our plans our, our plans here, which you know because because God knows those games are going to be equivalent. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I was I was curious about that. So, but anyways, yes, we'll be covering Star Wars Force Unleashed um, next month. We Darth Plagueis is, is somewhere in the books, but we do not have it scheduled, so that's gonna be later in the year. Thank you, uh, everybody. A little super early sneak peek for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, th- thank you all so very much for. For listening to us, uh, especially during that last part. Um, <laughs> Everyone but, go buy our shirts. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but as as we, Alice said it before, and I have as well, you know, it, there's, there's so many podcasts out there. And if you have just made it through uh, going on almost two hours, um, talking about talking about a couple episodes of a Star Wars show. um with me and Al, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate the support that you all give us. Um, Cause you guys are incredible, you know, and that's, and you guys are at least 90% of why we do this. 10% is just our massive egos and wanting to flaunt our intelligence. But you know, the, that other 90% though, that's all you guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. So you all have a wonderful evening. Always remember that fandom is for everyone, and may the Force be with you. We'll see you all next time.